0: Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is John Galligan, author of the new novel, Bad Day Breaking. The New York Times wrote about the novel, Gallagher unfurls his story with ease, breathing life into every character. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your new novel, Bad Day Breaking, how would you describe the novel? Well, Midwest Gothic, rural
1: crime thriller, cows, cheese, snowstorm, polka, <laughs> and murder. That's it's actually great. the fourth. It's actually the fourth book in a series, and the series is about a protagonist named Heidi Kick, who begins uh, her arc in 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 this series as the Dairy Queen of her rural Wisconsin county. She's on top of the world. She is rural royalty. This is as good as it gets for a young Wisconsin farm girl. She's smart. She's pretty. She's popular. Um, And then a terrible tragedy brings her family down and brings her down, and she hits rock bottom, and we pick her up uh, 12 years later, uh, resurfacing as the interim sheriff of the county next door, Bad Axe County, the first ever female sheriff in Wisconsin, and facing um, you know, dark crimes uh, in her in her region. Such as happened to and her when she was at,
0: you know, was Dairy Queen. Sure. And I'm curious, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write Bad Day Breaking? Well, Bad Day Breaking in particular, as the fourth book of the series, she, she's,
1: she's solved a number of cases in the first three books. And then the Bad Day Breaking actually... Uh, that's my COVID book. It's, it's me trying to figure out: okay, is this for real? You know, I, you know, all of us that were in the middle of writing something when this pandemic occurred had to figure out: okay, what does the future look like? You know, people need to be wearing masks in my in my books. Is, is, is this the plague? Is it not? Um, so, the impetus for this book was the particular problem that that she deals with. Uh, has to do not with the pandemic in particular, but the kind of um, psychic, emotional, and economic fallout that I felt at the time I was writing. I felt that would be, <clears throat> would be problematic in the future. And so what happens in this book is Heidi Kick has been reelected sheriff. She's, she's been functioning as a sheriff for a couple of years now. And into town comes this bedraggled, itinerant prosperity cult. And they settle into an abandoned um, self-storage, mini-storage facility uh, and start trying to live there. And, um, of course, the locals are not happy and they want them out, but it's also her job to protect them. So she's stuck in the middle of a, uh, you know, a civic conflict that is sort of, in my my estimation at the time, when you asked me about the impetus, in my estimation was... uh, the, some of the emotional and economic fallout of a pandemic, when people were losing their way and losing their livelihoods and looking for, uh, looking for salvation. So
0: that, that's how that's how this particular book got started. Sure, and I'm curious, did you do any research about cults as you were working on the novel? Oh yes, I did.
1: <laughs> yeah, I did some fascinating research. Um, you know, of course, I think we're all kind of interested in cults, but. Um, yeah, I, I, I looked at I look at all the all the ones that we all know about, and I I watched a, an amazing series called Wild Wild Country about the Rajneesh cult that um, tried to take over a, a county in Oregon back in <laughs> I think it was the eighties. Are you familiar with that?
0: I am. A, I watched. I watched the
1: documentary.
0: It was amazing. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I did. You know, I I looked at that, and i you know I'm 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 not dealing with something necessarily on that scale. Uh, But I was, you know, really curious, of course, about the psychology of people who join cults and people who lead cults and and how uh, authorities have dealt with cults. And I did a tremendous amount of research into Waco and the Branch Davidian disaster there. Um, And that's really probably the most informative uh, research that I did for this case, because my, my protagonist, Heidi Kick, has... A similar situation. She's on a smaller scale, perhaps, but she's got this explosive situation where there's an inside, there's an outside. You don't know what's going on inside, for sure. People on the outside want to obliterate the inside. The people on the inside, there's a lot of innocent people on the inside, and some that aren't. Um, and sh- her whole thought process during this novel is, don't let this be another Waco in, in my hometown. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm curious if we can back up a moment. What was your initial writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first novel published?
1: Well, you know, I heard something because I was listening to some of your other interviews. I heard something that was really a commonality, and that was that um, it kind of all starts with writing being something that was pretty easy for me, relatively easy. It was something that I was good at without um, trying that hard. And so all all through my life, I sort of was – succeeding in one way or another at writing and was sort of interested in being a writer. And then, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I kicked around as a writer a bit, uh, wrote some short stories, wrote some screenplays, worked as a journalist. Uh, and then I did something that changed my life. I, I, I took a year off my job and I went to uh, a, a rural mountain town in Japan. This is back in the 90s. To to teach English, and I was pretty much the only white person that anybody had ever not maybe not seen, but had had encountered, uh, and and so it was a profound experience for me. It, it absolutely tore the cover off my personality and rebuilt me, and and uh, actually taught me who I was. Um, of course, I learned a lot about. Japan and Japanese culture and all that, but really what I learned about is what does it mean to be a white American male? Um, And so when I came back from that experience, I returned to the United States. People would ask me, well, so how was Japan? And I'd start to talk, and about 30 seconds in, their eyes would glaze over because I had I had a long I had a complicated and important story to tell them that they just really honestly weren't interested in. So right. so so really what happened was I decided okay damn it I'm going to I'm going to make people listen to me. I'm going to tell a story. And so uh I, it took me 7 years to unpack the personal experience and set it aside and figure out how to make it a fictional story that still contained the truths that I uh, had experience. So it's like, you know, nothing in that novel really happened and yet everything did. So that was my moment of, that's when I became a novelist. It was the desire to communicate something that was complex uh, to an audience that wanted to hear it, but kind of didn't, kind of had to make them listen. So that's how that all got started. And then uh, after that, um, I kind of took a left turn because while I was in Japan, I, I had nothing to read And uh, there were two books. Uh, When I ran out of my own personal reading, there were two books that were in the school library. One was A Confederacy of Dunces, and thank God saved my life. Um, The other one was The Cat Who Sniffed Glue by Lillian Jackson Brown. And, you know, it's a cozy about Mm -hmm. somebody whose cat helps him solve crimes. And I'm thinking, I'm not reading this. No, I'm not reading this. And then I read it (laughs) because I had no choice. And I couldn't put it down. And I became uh, really fascinated and 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 kind of fell in love with the whole idea of of plot and mysteries and and telling stories in a certain way. so then i I sort of steered myself um you know into the into the crime mystery uh, genre from
0: there and and so you you said that this was the the fourth book in a series. Mm-hmm. Um I'm curious when you're when you're working on these novels. Um, mysteries and thrillers. What, what was th- what, what is the writing process? Um, are you Are you doing a, an extensive outline before you begin? or do you just dive into the narrative? How does that work for you?
1: But another thing that I've been listening to your other guests talk about. and, and um, I, to me, it's both, and it, it's a complex sort of push and pull between those two things. Um, there's a lot of, you know, conscious and deliberate thinking. Um, about what what are the element, you know I, I sort of had to do a you know a study of my own book books to figure out what how they work and why they work. and if I want another one to work in a similar way, what is it that I need to do again? and so so I definitely will sit down and say, okay, i I need this level and I need this level and I need this through story and I need this kind of character and I need this kind of character and then I need to balance with you know so i I, I do put together, Uh, something that I guess you would call it an outline. Um, So there's a lot of that sort of upfront uh, left-brain decision-making. And then there's always a phase in the process where I try to execute what I've planned and it doesn't go right. (laughs) But it goes somewhere. Uh, I wouldn't say it doesn't go right. It doesn't go as planned. It maybe goes better than planned. It maybe goes in a different direction. So there's there's the... the, uh, uh, the right brain, you know, sort of the creativity, the spontaneity, the discovery phase. And then back to, okay, what did I do? Let me, let me outline what I did. Let me see how it works with what I intended. So I think it's just, a, it's, it's hard to talk about because it's kind of a black box. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, sort of the less I think about, it, the better. But when I'm forced <laughs> to think about it by people like you, I, I say that it's both, <laughs> that it's a push and pull, it's a complex relationship.
0: That's great. Well, are you working on a new novel now?
1: Uh, I am. I'm working on uh this be my 10th novel and uh I, that very thing that we're just talking about is taking place. It's it's more complex than I hoped it would be and so I'm having to go pretty slow to make sure that I you know, I, I sort of write my novel in phases. I think of them as having acts like 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 films or plays and um I'm going slow enough so that I make sure that my my foundational act, my act one, can support the rest of it. So I've written that over the first hundred pages. I think I'm on the sixth draft of that yeah. because I know that this book is complicated enough uh, that if I don't set it on a, on a good foundation, it's not going to work.
0: And so what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels?
1: I think the biggest thing, you know, I teach writing, so I, I'm I'm constantly giving writing advice. It's kind of what I do all day. But um, I really think the biggest thing is patience. I think it's you know just reflecting on my own journey, how 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 long it took me to get competent, you know, not to not to even say good, but competent at at something as complex as writing a novel. Um, it's a long journey. I think it might take you fifty thousand hours, so you better get started. And you better be consistent. You better work regularly and be very patient with yourself and be very humble. Uh, It's a weird combination, I think, of, uh, you know, being enough of an egomaniac that you think you can write a novel and that people will pay attention to it. And then being, on the other hand, humble enough to know how difficult it really is and to listen to the feedback that you get from readers and so on, and to be patient with yourself and all of the stumbling and fumbling and all of the blind corners that you're going to find yourself in um, and the frustration and so forth. So patience, persistence, and don't wait another minute to get started.
0: Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Did you hear me?
1: I I didn't hear a thing there. (laughs) No, I didn't hear a thing there,
0: Joe. Um, sorry. Um, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed?
1: Um, I'm. Well, let's see. Uh, I recently read uh, Harry Crews' novel called The Gospel Singer, which was insane, um, and and good. Um, but I think what's what's most informing me in my in my crime writing is something very uncrime like. I've, I've read through the entire uh, works of Kent Hariff. I don't know if you know. Without but um, writes about a small town in Colorado, and it does. Mm-hmm. It's not crime; uh, it's literary fiction, but it has some real similarities with what I do. And that he tells his story through multiple viewpoints. Um, and what I'm really getting from it, and what I'm really trying to make sure infuses my crime writing is the heart of it, the humanity of it, the way it's really about people. You know, the relationships between people and how they take care of each other or don't. Um, so that's that's one thing that I'm not
0: reading uh, that's inspiring me right now. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? I've got a website, johngalligan.com. And it's got uh, all
1: nine novels described and linked and with reviews and... Uh, links to buy them, and um, recordings like this where they can listen to me talk about them and and so on. So, yeah, johngalligan.com.
0: That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with John Galligan, author of the new novel, Bad Day Breaking. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And, John, thanks for doing this interview. You're welcome. It was fun. Absolutely.
2: Yes, that is true. Sheriff Kick confirmed, tucking the eviction order inside her duty jacket to keep it dry. They're all named Carpenter, 23 adults and nine children, 32 carpenters. With no wasted motion, the reporter, a stylish young man about her age, mid-30s, handsome in a brainy way, popped up what was possibly the only umbrella in the entire badax. The sheriff noted heads turning as wet flakes thumped the wide black fabric. Beyond, the sudden snow fell silently upon the green-brown expanse of Blackhawk Pines, the municipal golf course that bordered the north side of Eustachiet Road. Black Hawk Pines security cameras caught the action on the road and inside the Eustachiet fence from tall poles planted behind the 13th Green and 14th T. Those cameras, the sheriff knew, had been toggled to wider angles to keep tabs on the course's weird new neighbors. Except the prophet and his wife, the sheriff clarified. 32 carpenters plus those two. She felt like Marcus Sullivan from the New York Times knew more than he was letting on, thought he was probing her for signs of ignorance as he reported on groups like House of Shalah across the country. She tried to check her impatience. She had official paper to deliver. But yes, because all new members change their names to Carpenter when they join, We still don't know Wynne Carpenter's real name. No one inside that fence does either. Brother Wynne is all they know. So they say. Mostly, they won't talk to us at all. She watched Sullivan raise his neatly bearded chin one half centimeter. Were Carpenters talking to him? The sheriff's freckled features tightened to a frown. This was exactly what she didn't need. This, among other things, has made it tough to solve this murder. Sure, of course. He scrawled a note with a stylus on his phone. So, Sheriff, in order to join the cult, I don't call it a cult. What do you call it? She stared past his umbrella, trying to gather herself at the end of what she felt had been the most difficult month of her life, at least since the bad old days. Her husband had been sick, her kids, Ophelia, Taylor, and Dylan, had been out of school, Her mother-in-law, Belle, had lost her latest cafe waitressing job and moved in with the Kick family at their hobby farm 10 miles out of Farmstead on Peterson Road. There, the sheriff and her husband, Harley, conducted homeschool with no internet and dealt with an extra 74-year-old child who smoked and drank and knew a better way to do everything. And that was just the personal stuff. Over the sheriff's kicking and screaming, the PFC had replaced Bender with Michaela Stonebreaker as her chief deputy. Signaling intolerance, the PFC's decision had emboldened Stonebreaker's husband, Dennis, to rename his vigilante organization Kill the Cult. Lately, the group posted armed observers 24 7 on Eustachet Road. All this time, the Wynn Carpenter case had spun its wheels under a cloud of rumors about drug dealing in the House of Shalaw. And whispers of a cover up related to the sheriff's substance abuse in her troubled years after high school down in Crawford County. She was protecting someone. Stupid as this was, it was the hot gossip. There was more. Still unanswered was the disturbing internal affairs question of whether the sheriff's promising young protege, Deputy Lindsey Luck, had been using department computers to carry on romantic pen pal relationships with prison inmates. Deputy Luck denied this, and so far, three judges, all citing First Amendment concerns and insufficient cause, had refused to sign a warrant granting access to the prison system's email service. The judges were probably right, but the sheriff couldn't shake the feeling that Deputy Luck and her department were heading for trouble. And still more. Ten days after Halloween, the House of Shalaw had purchased the vacant 2.2-acre lot next to the Eustachet property. Immediately upon closing, they had pulled a permit and moved in heavy equipment, and carpenters, who obviously knew how, had staked out the land and begun installing a residential sewer. Laying big concrete pipes had become proof of Kill the Cult's claim that the carpenters planned to build houses, stay in farmstead, and... Here was the threat. Take over the bad acts by populating the schools with its children and electing its members into county government. Try and argue with a rumor, Sheriff Kick thought, as the brim of her cap began to drip. Glancing through quickening snowfall at the reporter, she felt the urge to holler bad words. I call it what it is, she finally replied. A religious community. He nodded. It seems that calling it that has made you unpopular. I'm not concerned about my popularity. The word cult is inflammatory, inaccurate, and not helpful. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're
1: missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.